Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is the Fandom Force podcast, episode two. Um, I am joined again by... I am Phil. I'm the co-owner and editor-in-chief of thefutureoftheforce.com. And I am Kat, editor and writer for Future of the Horse. So we're going to start off this week by quickly going over our Twitter poll that we launched last week. So the question that we asked everyone... Should Star Wars writers, directors, or employees engage with trolls or hatred online, or should they ignore it? Um, so we had over 100 votes on this, and it came out at 60% uh, said that we should ignore um, these trolls online. Now, I know, Phil, that was your stance last week. Um, do you still still agree with that stance? I do indeed, I'm afraid, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's the best course of action. I mean... Um... Now, everyone's entitled to an opinion. It doesn't mean um, the consensus of us are, are all are correct all the time. However, the opposite opinions are equally valid. Whether we agree with them or not is another matter. Um, but everybody's entitled to one. But, but what we shouldn't be providing is a platform in which to spread hateful messages and to uh, members of the cast or even the crew. Uh, that kind of content should be stifled, in my opinion. I mean, we never had it back in the day. I mean, obviously, social media has opened that door. But, um, yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to see it um, taken out of the equation, to be honest. I mean, even John Boyega's weighed in this week and said, you know, even if you don't like Star Wars or the characters, understand their decision makers and harassing actors and actresses would do nothing. You're not entitled to politeness when your approach is rude. And I have to agree with him. I mean, he even says if you, if you paid for a ticket, it does not give you the right to sit there and start attacking these people. I mean, they are just people like us in the end of the day. They're just trying to make a really good movie for us to enjoy. So, no, I think... Um, it's nice to see that 60% of the audience agree with me. Uh, I'd say I'm kind of surprised. Um, I mean, I wonder if it does have something to do with our audience being split uh, across several continents. Because I know you mentioned last week that uh, Phil's perspective seemed like a very British perspective to you. Um, and so I wonder if, if anything like that comes into play. But I thought the results are super interesting. Um, I also think there's a difference between... Um, between indicating support and engaging with trolls. So, like, not support of trolls, but, I mean, like, indicating support for the people who are receiving the hate and engaging um, and, like, actually going in and arguing with people on the Internet because I think those are kind of two different things, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I th- I, I completely agree. I think I think you might be right that it might be a British thing if we had more more british people uh voting on it but um i think it, it just shows that it's the whole fandom is very split at the moment and i think i i like to think that those 60 percent of people that uh went for ignore are probably just fed up of seeing it so thanks to everyone who voted on that um and we will be announcing our next twitter poll uh, at the end of the show okay so we're going to move on now uh on to our trailer reactions for this week um the first trailer Uh, that we're going to talk about is the new Dumbo trailer from Disney. We're all family here, no matter how small. Phil, what did did you think of this? I loved it, to be honest. I mean, um, I think it was full of breathtaking imagery again, like Spider-Man was last week. I mean, the animation on the elephants looks incredible. I'm not sure about the inclusion of humans into the story. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a traditionalist and a stick in the mud for that sort of thing. I would rather play true to the original story because um, I, I remember uh, I've been told many a story about being a baby about Dumbo and me crying at the end when, the, when, when it finished. So, you know, I've got a bit of a, a passionate stance on it. And But having said that, I'm delighted to see Michael Keaton. I mean, Michael Keaton in anything is gold. So um, And him sharing the screen again with Danny DeVito, like in Batman Returns, that's got to be worth seeing on its own. Um, whether or not Tim Burton can pull it off um, is another matter. I mean, I'm not really a fan of his Alice in Wonderland take. Um, so, yeah, I mean, on imagery alone, it looks fantastic. Whether or not Tim Burton can pull it off, I don't know. Let's hope so. Um, <laughs> I am not here for it. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it looks pretty it looks you know okay but i really don't think we need a live action dumbo i don't really even think we need any of the live action disney movies that are being made right now i'm glad Uh, you said that (laughs) yeah (laughs) so like i'm sure it'll be fine but i'm i just don't believe we need it i'm not sold on it uh but the people in it are kind of 
making me curious. Um, but I can't even say if I'll be going to see this one. It's just not really up there on my priority list. <laughs> I think for me, it was the cast that swung me on this trailer. I think if we didn't have Michael Keaton or Danny DeVito in there, I I just don't think I'd be interested at all. Again, like Phil, I've been told that I loved Dumbo as a child. Um, I just think that, like say, these D- Disney live action movies, I think there's certain ones that lend themselves to a live action story. And I don't feel like Dumbo was because of the characters and like you say phil they've we've gone for a a human cast in this one and i'm not entirely sure whether it's going to work i've never been um a huge tim burton fan either um so i think it's yeah i think i may not go and see this opening weekend i think i will end up going and seeing it um but i don't think i will i don't think it's ever going to grab me enough for me to want to go and see it straight away yeah, I mean, Tim Burton's got his own you know, specific style, and its I don't think it lends too well to Disney. I mean, he, he often goes for a very dark approach for certain things, and the idea of it applying it to Dumbo doesn't really sit well with me, so yeah, I totally agree with him. Okay, so uh, let's move swiftly on then to uh, How to Train Your Dragon 3. There were dragons when I was a boy. Where they went, only a few know. Our story changed the world forever. So here we are again, the next episode. I have not seen either of the How to Train Your Dragon movies. Um, You can go ahead and drag me for it. I accept it. Um, But I do listen to the scores of the the first two um, on a semi-regular basis because that is some phenomenal music. (laughs) Um, But this trailer, so I don't really know what's going on if I'm being totally honest. Uh, but I'm kind of into it. Um, and I've always meant to go back and watch the first two. Um, it, like so many other movies, I have a list. I, I always mean to and never quite get there. Um, but I think this might push me. Also, one thing that is interesting to me is um, the trailers that we're looking at today, these movies don't come out until like 2019, but we're getting trailers really early, it seems. Do you guys feel like this is early? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, uh, it's it's unheard of to actually advertise that far in advance. I mean, we're talking you know, over seven or eight months away. So it, it, it is crazy. I mean, it's, it's happened a few times in the past. I mean, I remember back in the day we had um, Star Trek Generations. We had, a, we had a trailer for that literally a year before the film came out, which was bizarre. So it's not unheard of. But yeah, it's, it's becoming a bit more prevalent now. Yeah, it does seem like it. I wonder if it's something to do with these uh these movies being largely family films if they feel like they need to advertise those more in advance i'm not really sure um but i think i'll be turning up for this one i'll catch up by then yeah again like all the other animated features we've been featuring in the last two weeks i mean the imagery and the the quality of the animation is beautiful um the colors in the background are vivid and make for a fantastic fantasy film so that's going to be great um however i i saw dragons one which i thought was thoroughly enjoyable for some reason or another, I kind of passed on Dragons 2, even though I had good good vibes about the, about the first one. So I'm um, not sure why I missed out on it, but I shall probably watch this one again. The downside is I'm not really a fan of kids' movie sequels because I feel they cover the same ground as 100 other movies out there and don't really add anything to the overall story. So I get um, bored very fast with these kind of kids' sequels. So I'm hopeful, but uh, just an imagery alone, it looks fantastic. Some of the night shots and the night imagery with the... Now the lights in the background and the and the, the blue saturation on the on the screen it looks really really cool. So, yeah, I'll um, I'll give it a look and see how I feel. I think I I probably come from a different uh, angle for this one. Uh, the first time I watched uh, the first How to Train Your Dragons was actually with one of my classes. Uh, I think as you guys know, I I teach primary school children. Um, and it was an end of the year thing and I put it on and I remember uh, starting my planning for the next year and it kept grabbing my eye to the point at which I was just sat down with all the children watching it as well Um, and I absolutely loved it and like you say Kat the scores for both of the first two films are phenomenal and I think that's where when when John Powell got announced for the solo movie that got me really excited because this is where I know his work from. The one thing about this trailer that completely threw me is the fact that they didn't use any of that score and they used a typically cheesy Ed Sheeran song to try and sell it to that audience, to the children. 
Um, That's not going to win me over. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I was horrified by that. I thought, it's how to train your dragon. They can use parts of the score that they've had in the previous two films. They don't need anything new. They can just reuse some of that just to get that feeling back for the film. Um, And they didn't. They went with Ed Sheeran. Um, and it just threw me a little bit. And this this one out of the three looks like the storyline anyway looks the most childish. So yeah, I think uh, again, I think I'll probably go and see it at some point, or maybe when it comes out. Um, but yeah, I'm not desperate to see this one. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Our next trailer we're going to talk about is the Predator trailer. I had a run in with a space alien. <laughs> That's the thing that killed my man. <laughs> It'll take us one by one. So come and get us. My favourite of the week. Yeah, we can definitely start on the Predator. I mean, um, I've been a big Predator fan ever since I was a kid. I mean, I wasn't old enough to see it at the cinema, annoyingly. But my brother managed to uh, secure an old VHS copy, and I watched it for the first time on that. But instead of being frightened, oh, I loved it, completely loved it. And I was lucky enough last year to uh, catch it on the big screen up in, L- in London. We have got uh, an old cinema over here called The Prince Charles, who show all the old all the old films, and Predator was one of them. So it was presented in the original 70mm, so it was like seeing it on the big screen for the first oh, time. So wow. it was fantastic. So uh, I've been really looking forward to The Predator for quite some time, and Predators was fantastic from Robert Rodriguez, but I really wanted a, a legitimate sequel to Predator. And uh, after looking at this one, I wasn't overly impressed by the original trailer, when it first came out, it, um, it didn't really blow me away as I wanted it to. Um, and obviously, after what seemed like forever, the first trailer, the first trailer arrived, and there we are. But now we're on to the second trailer, and it, it looks similar in tone to Alien vs. Predator Requiem, which, in my opinion, is a bit of a bit of a mistake because the um, the romantic vibe and the teenage flick didn't really suit the Predator environment, even with the aliens involved in that film. So. But I'm delighted with the inclusion of the newly enhanced hybrid Predator. I think it looks incredible, similar in style to the Berserker from Predators. And um, just being set in modern 2018, it's a direct sequel to Predator 1 and 2, but it's also set before Predators as well, so it's kind of linking the saga together. And the links to the, the first two movies, Keyes' son, is actually involved in this. Peter Keyes, obviously, the, is Gary Busey's character from Predator 2, who got his head decapitated by the Predator in the, um, in the butcher's yard, yeah. so... Yeah, so having Peter Keyes' son involved is going to be great. But I was a bit alarmed when Schwarzenegger refused to be a part of the sequel after reading the script, which always rings alarm bells with me. You know, if Schwarzenegger turns it down, you know something's seriously wrong. But uh, the Predator looks uh, it looks great, so uh, I'm hopeful. I was hoping for Alan Silvestri to return and compose the score, mm-hmm. but unfortunately Henry Jackman is coming back to do it, so it's uh, we're not going to get uh, vintage Silvestri. But you know, Shane Black is a great calibre and he brings a wealth of experience to the project, obviously starring as uh, Hawkins in the original Predator. So uh, I think uh, the franchise is in good hands with him. Whether or not he can pull it off, my fingers are firmly crossed. I um, have only ever seen the original Predator film. Uh, so it's, it's one on my list to work my way through the others. Um, I remember watching half of the first Alien vs. Predator um, and thinking, what am I watching? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think for me as someone that isn't a fan of the franchise I look at this trailer and is it is it going to be an entertaining film and the the trailer sells it as that that it's going to be an entertaining film it'll be an interesting watch I don't know I just think these these films get churned out so frequently I just don't know about whether the quality is going to be behind it or not like the original I think like you say Schwarzenegger turning it down knowing that it probably wasn't about the size of the role. I think he probably would have taken a small role if it was a good script. Um, it does seem to ring alarm bells a little bit for me. Um, so yeah, like you say, fingers crossed it, it turns out to be to be a good one, but um, I'm not confident that it will be. So I am only loosely familiar with the Predator franchise, so I'm more, um, I'm more with you, Sam, on this. And... This is one of those movies that I'm also, no offense, Bill, because I know you love it, but I'm not (laughs) sure that we need. (laughs) Um, That being said, though, um, the cast of this movie, much like we were talking about with Dumbo, really sells me. Sterling K. Brown in there, um, Keegan-Michael Key, Trevante Rhodes, 
Um, I'm into it. Uh, so, I, like, even though I don't have any sort of, um, you know, childhood experience to build on or anything like that, I think I'm going to go to this one. Um, I love me some good sci-fi, uh, and this could be that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I, people now, clearly. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think the uh, yeah the the cast again is one of the redeeming features uh, of this trailer uh, for me anyway. So um, yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting watch, and it is one that I definitely will go to go and see. Um, so on that note, I think I probably know where where we're going to go with this one. But um, Phil, we'll start with you because I think it's nice and obvious. Which film out of these three um, are you going to go and see? Uh, definitely the Predator. Um, totally sold. I can't wait. Excellent. Uh, so, Kat, if you could only see one, which one? I would also choose Predator, actually. That is more my vibe. Yay! Yeah. I think, <laughs> just like last week, I think it's going to be a clean sweep on this one. Um, yeah, I'm not not wild about Dumbo or How to Train Your Dragon, so I think Predator will be one that I will be seeing opening weekend. Something tore him to pieces. I think they're attempting hybridization. They're upgrading on every planet they visit. We need to know if you pose a threat. We're assassins. Isn't posing a threat kind of the point? Okay, um, so we are going to move on uh, to Wonder Woman 1984. Now, we got the official title um, of the new Wonder Woman film, and we had some um, photos released. So, Cat, uh, what did you think of uh, the release this week about Wonder Woman. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> so Wonder Woman is basically my favorite movie of all time. Um, I mean, I have a top five, but it's pretty. <laughs> it's a very important film to me. Um, so when I uh, logged onto the internet a couple of days ago to find all of this new stuff, I was just thrilled. So we have that... Um, we have that photo of Diana looking at like the surveillance television screen that was released. Um, we have that photo of Steve Trevor, who is back. Um, but what's great about it is that everyone is just so excited that he's back that nobody even cares how he got back, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's not even any discourse online about, hmm, that seems like a glaring plot hole. No, we're just totally on board for it. Doesn't matter. Um, so we have that photo of him uh, in the tracksuit, and then we have some like uh, paparazzi photos of the two of them. Um, and oh my god, I am just so excited! I'm like not super sold on it being Cold War era, if I'm being honest, because I think um, American films that do Cold War themes and time periods get a little. Um, problematic to me because uh, it's a very one-sided perspective but that being said um i think this movie is going to be phenomenal and i am just beyond excited that made my week <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, th I i thought it was amazing i think the um again they they just seem to be the perfect images to be released for this like you said um having steve trevor back uh no not one person is complaining about that everybody's excited to see him back <laughs> Um, I thought Chris Pine did an incredible job in the first one um, and he will probably do the same again in this one. I think um, you're talking about the era. I think you're, you're absolutely right. That is, it's a tricky time period um, to set it in. Um, I think the re one of the reasons why Wonder Woman works so well is because it was all part of World War One. Yeah, I mean, it looks amazing. I mean, I've, the, the first one was stunning. I mean, Patty Jenkins knocked it out of the park with that. I mean, to to produce a film of that quality uh, against the, the backdrop of the the DC universe, which is in a state of turmoil, from my opinion right now, uh, was amazing. I mean, just just this week on its own, we've had so much content come out of Warner Brothers and, and DC, and just having uh, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four confirmed, and now now talk about Batman being recast and multiple Joker movies and the cancellation of Gotham, Gotham City Sirens and yeah, you know, there seems to be a lot going on at the moment, a lot, of, you know, a lot of controversy. I mean, I like to see it settle down. I'm hoping Patty Jenkins is going to be able to do that. I mean, she's done it first time round. Um, I mean, Gal Gadot is fantastic in the role, and, you know, it's, and and having Chris Pine back to Steve Trevor, like you say, is is 
is a home run for me. That's, that's fantastic. Even though I'm fascinated to see how they're going to revi- revive him. Yeah. Especially yeah. after they in the first one. I mean, and then they touched upon it so vividly in, in the end of Wonder Woman and you now the picture in Batman vs Superman and then talking the confrontation between Bruce Wayne and and Wonder Woman uh, in Justice League about it. You know, and then a romantic relationship linking there between Bruce Wayne and, and Diana. So I'm fascinated to see how they're going to work all that in and uh, and keep the balance to it. So, but I am really worried about the DC universe just now, and I'm I'm hoping that Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be the film to keep it on track because that's to me the first Wonder Woman film is the only legitimate one which has actually come out. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Zack Snyder's work anyway, and I don't think he's uh, suited to the uh, the DC universe. So, yeah, I'm very hopeful for Wonder Woman 1984, and I, I can't wait to see it. I mean, even the score for the first one was fantastic. If they can keep the same composer and Rupert Griggs at Williams, would be fantastic. So, yeah, fingers firmly crossed for this one. Yeah, I I, I think I, I, I've never really been one for an either-or with Marvel or DC. I, I, I just, if it's a good film, I'm going to enjoy it. Um, but you do almost wish that the original one, or the first Wonder Woman was the only one in that DC universe. I just feel like it's the only one that has really hit um, with fans or the majority of um, film goers um, in general. I think everybody that went to go and see that film would accept that it was a fantastic film. Um, So yeah, I think like you say, it's the the state of DC is the, the worrying part of this that are they going to try and change what they did in the first one to try and fit in with the rest of it when actually they did such a good job with the first one i I feel like they just need to let um patty jenkins run with it um yeah and see what she can do yeah fingers crossed she can pull it off i mean uh, the first one was so gritty and visceral especially now depicting the the war injuries of world war one i mean she wasn't afraid to tackle the harshness of it so uh, can she top it with the sequel it's gonna be a tough ask but i can't wait meaning i'm so excited (laughs) Having said that, we've had some great imagery come out of um, Aquaman today. Oh, yeah. I haven't had a chance to look at them yet. What are they like? Well, we've got, in the original comics and original series, we had uh, Atlantean warriors riding seahorses. We've got that again. We've had one riding a giant crocodile and a whole host of them riding great white sharks. So (laughs) vividly, imagery alone, it looks incredible. So if that can live up to uh, the hype, it will be some movie. Yeah, I... uh... <laughs> Again, I'm still I'm not I'm not sold on Aquaman, but I will ha- have a look at those pictures later, and uh, maybe we'll we'll discuss the state of DC next week. A good blaster, the right crew, and no jobs too big. Heads up! Okay, so. We have got uh, something from Phil. I think I know this is something that you you wanted to talk about, Phil. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, Star Wars Battlefront um, and the the state of gaming at the moment. So Phil, I'll, I'll pass over to you for this one. Thanks, Sam. Um, basically, I wanted to just bring uh, a light onto the the Solo a Star Wars story content we've just recently um, received on Tuesday. I mean, we've been waiting you know, for quite some time for the Solo story. To drop and the content has finally arrived and we've been given two new skins for Han Solo, two new skins for Lando, uh, a new attire for Pachui, and of course Lando's Millennium Falcon. I mean, who wouldn't want to fly Lando's Falcon? Which is also voiced with L3, which is super exciting. However, a lot of people have been coming on the timelines of Future of the Force complaining about the pricing structure of each costume. I mean, all other characters in the past have been anywhere between five to 40,000 credits on the game. Whereas now, both Han Solo costumes are now been priced at 80,000 credits. Lando has been priced at 80,000 credits. Chewie has been priced at 35, or 40 even. And then the Falcon has is, is been priced at 35,000 credits, where the previous incarnation with Ray and Chewie was priced at just 5,000. So the pricing structure is a little bit bizarre, uh, I mean, especially if you, you take on you know, the average teenager. I mean, my son, for example, he's 12. He plays the game religiously, but on on an, any level, whether it be Galactic Assault or, or Blast, the most credits he ever brings home is the best part of 500 credits. So if you're talking saving up for these characters, 500 credits a time does not equate into the 80,000 credit bra- bracket that easily. It's going to take him ages to obtain that just one skin. And now you're talking, you know, you're doing that four times over and then another 35,000 on top of that with the Millennium Falcon. I find it 
baffling how kids are going to compete at that price. I mean, uh, we've done a poll on Future of the Force today, and a lot of people are saying that the content should be free. And I agree with them. They, when the, um, the press release came out from, from EA Star Wars, they actually said the content would be free. And now you turn around and you're looking at a £40,000 per attire credit sequence. It's, it's bizarre. I mean, I don't, I don't understand how they expect kids of now the teenage bracket or even younger are expected to keep up with that statistic. It's amazing. Yeah, I know, I'm myself, I'm, I'm not a huge gamer, but I know obviously when I was a child playing games and things, they created storylines that made you want to play over and over again. And now it just seems all about playing the same thing over and over again, but doing it to try and achieve new things or to try and achieve new skins or new characters and things like that. And I just think it just seems to take the enjoyment out of out of gaming in general um to spend that much time just to a, achieve one character and that's like you're saying that's just one character if they wanted all of those i can't imagine how many hours you're going to put into to try and achieve that it just seems ridiculous especially for the younger generation i know that most most children are probably restricted on how how many hours they can spend on games and things like that as well so it just it almost seems like it's an unobtainable goal. Very much so. I mean, we've also got uh, Clone Wars content, which has just been announced recently, which we're getting, you know, Count Dooku, Obi-Wan, Anakin, and General Grievous. I mean, are they going to be 80,000 each as well? I mean, by the time that my son unlocks even one Han Solo, or even two, for example, you know, they we're then going to be backed up with another four characters, which are all going to have to be unlocked again at 80,000 credits each. I mean, it's, it's astronomical. I, mean, I don't see how they, they intend or expect kids to keep up with it. It's, it's crazy. I mean, my son, just, my son alone today, my, my son has come home. Instead of you know, his first line after school is normally, can I play Battlefront and, and take over the PlayStation? But you know, he's come home today and he's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to bother today because I'm not gonna, never going to get Han Solo. So it's like it's taken the fun out of it for him already. And you know, so we've only had it for three days. It's, it, it's bizarre. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> does it, I'm, I'm curious, do they give you the option to buy it outright? No, you, it's basically you have to earn enough credits to right. to uh, download it. So that is the only way to do it. Exactly, yeah. Or you could, there is a, there is a crystal system. You can trade in crystals, which you know you don't start out with that many, and you only get a certain amount you know, per round. Right. So it's a, it's pretty impossible to get them just like that unless you saved up a hell of a lot of credits. But you know, not many people can do because we've just had the 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 Endor attires all drop, and we've had Leia in booster skies, and we've had um, you know Lando in skiff. No, I skip a tire drop, but they're all forty thousand each, and it's like now Han Solo from the Solo a Star Wars story is eighty thousand. It's it's double. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it it does seem. I know they had the whole structure at the start when it came out. Um, it does seem like they haven't really moved forward with it. They're not addressing the fans' concerns for the game. Uh, they keep making the same mistakes. I know. For me, I didn't buy it straight away. <laughs> I bought it when it drastically dropped in price um when it first came out i was one of the people that uh, the only reason i was interested in buying the game was for the um the campaign storyline um and i think within hours of it being released there was a video on youtube (laughs) with a playthrough of it um (laughs) so i just ended up watching that because i just thought what i don't want to have to spend 50 60 pounds however much it is nowadays on a game that I know that I'm not going to play that much because of these exact issues that I I don't have the time to play these games for hours on end every day to try and achieve those those kind of goals. Yeah, exactly. And I don't understand how they expect kids to do it either. Right. So uh, have you got any suggestions, Phil? What, what do you think um, EA can do to try and resolve this situation? Well, it's, it's pretty much the same as they did before. I mean, there's been so many problems with it, and they've had so many complaints. I think I think they should reduce it down drastically. I mean, just bringing it in line with the other characters at 40,000 would be achievable. Um, it's still a little bit higher for, for my liking, but it'll be more reasonable to most people. Uh, or even dropping down to 20,000 each would be sensible. Um, and at least give everybody a chance to get these characters before the Clone Wars content finally arrives in a few months' time. I mean, the, the the first rollout of the of the Clone Wars content begins in July, which is only a few weeks away. So it's like, you know, no one's going to be able to achieve all these characters in the space of a couple of weeks. It's impossible. So that will be my suggestion to EA: is you know, drop the pricing structure to either forty or even twenty thousand, 
and get people back on side because you know, my son on, on his own has already turned around and said, that's enough for him. So it's putting customers off. Yeah. And so they really need to address it fast. Yeah, and I, I don't I, I don't think that's an unfeasible, unfeasible um, job for EA. And I think that if they did that, they, they could quite easily refund the people that have already spent all of their credits on on those characters they could refund the difference couldn't they quite easily yeah it's just a sensible approach yeah definitely right well we'll uh, uh we'll keep our eyes peeled for that one and uh see see what ea does does in the future but fingers crossed they'll uh, make a sensible decision on that one science fiction is so good at these kind of social themes yeah the great thing about star wars is i had a a thing i mean a a, a vessel that I could throw anything into. Yeah. But one of the biggest problems you have in science fiction with movies, that you don't have it in books or anything, but in movies, you have to create a real world. Yeah. And it's a real world that doesn't exist. Yeah. And you have to do what I, what Kurosawa used to say is, it has to have immaculate reality. Yeah. Even though it's not I like real. That term. So our next story uh, seemed to come out of nowhere a little bit this week. Um, I was I wasn't expecting a George Lucas story this week. Um, but uh, in James Cameron's new documentary, The Story of Science Fiction, um, James interviewed George Lucas um, about uh, his mythology and his uh, attitude towards filmmaking. And they discussed a little bit about um, the Phantom Menace and the midichlorians, um, the infamous midichlorians of the Phantom Menace. Um, and George Lucas just dropped a few little hints about what he would have done with the sequel trilogy and tried to explain this side of the force a little bit more um, just to try and draw all trilogies together um, through that. Um, so, Kat, what did you think of this story? I thought it was super interesting. Okay, so he was basically indicating that there are microorganisms that are, are uh, what make up the force, like that are slightly separate from midichlorians. Um, but it's these things that control the universe, essentially, um, in one way or another. And that is really interesting to me. I don't think that anybody would have liked to see this sequel trilogy. Um, but I think there would have been a lot of backlash to it. But I think, uh, that the idea itself is really interesting and something that maybe isn't best in a film, but could um, really shine in uh, a series of books or something like that. Because I want to know now. I want to know more. And George Lucas indicated that he had this whole plan and like he wanted to tell the story from start to finish. And now I really want to know what you know what the end of the story looks like to him. Um, but at the same time, I think that would have just destroyed our fandom even further. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the same, really. I mean, it did come out of left field. Uh, I mean, you know, George's ideas for the sequel were a little out there with the micro-universe, but they, no, they were true to the original screenplay he wrote back in the 60s. I mean, the wills were part of the screenplay up until the you know, the last rewrites had been completed, and we never got to hear about the the Guardians of the Wills. And the um, you know, the ancient order of the wills was a, a high order of being deeply connected to the Force, and the wills kept a collection of stories called the Journal of the Wills that chronicled the history of the galaxy. So now the, the whole take of, of following the saga through to actually learning about the Force uh, in its entirety would have been fascinating. But I agree with Kat. It was, was a little bit out there. Um, I mean, the only time we've ever heard about the Wilkes was when Kazan Endor uh, dropped a few uh, tidbits of it in, uh, during Rogue One. And it's, it is a shame looking at it now that George believed that many fans would have hated the project. And uh, that's the reason why... Yeah, he, he moved on from Disney, which is funny enough, that's what we were talking about last week. We were saying about the reason why George walked away. It was possibly because of the hatred and the backlash that he didn't want to be attacked for producing another another trilogy. Um, so, yeah, it's a shame that it's, it actually comes to that, that he walks away from what he created and what he loved and what he really brought to so many people. And uh, he walks away from that because of fear of being attacked. So it's... yeah. It's a shame. I would have I would love to have seen, like Kat said, either in, a, in its own TV series or in a book. Whether or not it would have translated on film, I I agree with George. I think the backlash would have been a little bit too harsh. So I don't blame him for not not following it through. But now they're even talking about it with Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and and, uh, and Harrison sitting around a dinner table before 
that they sold to Disney. There were pictures you know, talking about it. There were uh, there were rumours that it was going to happen, and, and then he just up and sold. So it's a shame. It's a very 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 sad day. Now just listening to his thoughts and saying that's why he walked away. It's um, upsetting. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you there. I think there's there's definitely a lot of sadness in in this, and he definitely he definitely has come across for the last couple of years that he he regrets. I think selling uh, Lucasfilm to Disney. I think um, as soon as he and I think it's well, it's well known that he passed on all of his Episode Seven ideas to Disney, and I think they just chucked <laughs> chucked in the bin and. I think he's definitely felt regret and that this definitely isn't the story that he would have told. Um, but from Disney's point of view, they're trying to tell the story that that engages new fans and engages more people as much as possible and obviously tries to make as much money as possible. Um, I have no idea where he was going with this. Um, to, <laughs> I, I understand that he wanted to tell the story of the midichlorians or the force as it were and the the backstory of the force but i don't he didn't really give any hints as to what the storyline would have been within that um and i just i don't know i think it it would have been like you say a very very difficult thing to translate onto film even in books i think there's there's books that over explain things i almost almost think it would be best suited to an infographic book and <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it almost suits itself to that sort of book where you can get Pablo Hidalgo to sit down and, and explain all the intricacies of the Force and, and exactly what it means um, to be a part of that world. I think that that's that's probably where I think it would be best suited. Um, so yeah, I, 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 do, I feel really sad for George, George Lucas because ultimately we would have none of this without him. Um, it's been said many times that it, it was his galaxy that he created. Um, and it does seem sad that that he's still around and witnessing it all happening and not, not being a part of it. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, um, it's humbling to, to hear his words today. I just hope one day we do find out what those... Uh, exactly what his stories for the the sequel trilogy were i'm sure somewhere he has got got an outline of what what they were going to be and and we'll find out one day we're also looking at working with people that are interested in coming into the star wars world and taking us to places that we haven't been yet and that's exciting too because it's a vast galaxy far far away okay uh so talking about interesting to read uh, some ideas for the sequel trilogy. Uh, I pitched to the two of you this week that we were going to have a higher or fire idea um, and pitch our own Star Wars story ideas, and it could be from any era, any character, um, and pitch it as if we were pitching it to uh, Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, this is going to be our next Star Wars film. Um, so, Kat, I think we're going to start with you on this one. Um, Try and sell us your new Star Wars film. All right. So picture this. Dr. Afra, right? Um, the woman we have come to love. Sold. Through... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Nothing further. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. <laughs> uh, the woman that we've come to love through uh, the recent um, Star Wars comics. Uh, I would love to see her storyline adapted to film, but not just her storyline. Like, yes, uh, an Afra like archaeological adventure, right? Almost like Space Indiana Jones. But I specifically want to get into the Ordu Aspectu um, storyline because I really like some kind of weird conceptual sci-fi stuff and the Ordu Aspectu is the um the like splinter group of the Jedi uh that many 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 years ago um were trying to find uh a path to immortality um and then ended up fighting with the more orthodox um Jedi about uh their activities um, and so I would really love for her to like, um, get into a situation that kind of brings that history back, uh, to the forefront. Cause what I really, where I really think 
the franchise needs to go is back um, as well as maybe going forward. But like, I want to see like Knights of the Old Republic stuff. I want to see um, like not origin stories of specific characters or um, anything like that, but like origin stories of the forces that we know in the universe of the Jedi, of the Sith, like of the Republic, like those kinds of stories. Cause I think, um, I think we need to go there. I think that presents room for growth for the franchise. So I'd love to see a, um, a kind of merging of the two where we have an Afro storyline, which is in a timeline that we know, but it's tied in with um, the Aspectu stuff from so long ago. I love this idea. <laughs> I love Dr. Afro. I love the comics. Um, and I love the idea, like you say, of going back, um, going way, way back and finding out a little bit more about these um these different groups that splintered off uh, the original Jedi Order. Um, I genuinely thought in The Last Jedi they were going to do this. I thought that that's where they were building to. I thought that they were going to drop loads and loads of um, Old Republic like hints in The Last Jedi and then the next trilogy was going to be an Old Republic trilogy and they just did next to nothing on it. Um, so I love this idea. Um, and straight away, as soon as you said it, I think indiana jones tomb raider kind of feel to it i think it would be it would be a huge huge film and i think it suits itself um to to the big screen that would be incredible i'd love to see that film so i think this is a nice obvious one for us uh phil would you uh hire cat or would you fire her i'm totally on board cat you hired yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm with you Absolutely, we are making this film happen. I'm ready. I, I've got my uh, my writing skills out and ready to go. <laughs> Lucasfilm, I hope you're paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Phil, let's go to your pitch. Oh, okay then. The galaxy is on the brink of collapse. War rages. Mandalore, with its warrior ethos of fire and fury, are taking over the galaxy. And only the Jedi Order in its infancy stands in their way. An ancient movie depicting the old Mandalorian warrior ways against the Jedi's fleeting infancy. An incredible visual spectacle of war. However, I would also sell for a legitimate Boba Fett movie with Daniel Logan and Shimura Morrison cast as Mango. <laughs> I think as soon as you mentioned Mandalore, I genuinely did do like a little fist pump. <laughs> it has to be done. We need a, we need a Mandalore movie. We absolutely do. Kat, what do you think of uh, this idea? I am so into it. Um, I really want to know about the origins of uh, the Jedi Order. Um, so, I like, please tell me. Please explain it all to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> How many fans would it appease to have the, 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 the origins of the Jedi and Mandalore at the same time? Now, right? Yeah. Two birds, one's I mean, done. You've got it. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? It's got to be done. Absolutely. Um, oh yeah, I think, like most people, any any Mandalore stories are, are ones that I eat up so quickly. Um, I loved all of it in um, in the Clone Wars, but especially in Rebels, going back to Mandalore. And I think you could do so much with the houses and then linking it into into the Jedi as well. It's such a genius idea. Um, yeah, well done on this one, Phil. It's got to be done. No, I love, I love the idea. I'm, I'm, I'm just excited talking about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, you've sold yourself. <laughs> the inner twelve-year-old just jumped for joy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is another easy one, Cat. What uh, would you hire or fire Phil? Hire right away. Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> um, I'm with Cat on this one, Phil. I'm spending all my money on this film. Go and awesome. make it. Kathy Kennedy, I'm open to offers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like I might be the uh, the Ryan Johnson of this group, and I might have gone a bit um, into dangerous territory, especially with the uh, the Disney films. Ooh. So, my my um, proposed film is actually set between the Last Jedi and whatever the next one is called. Oh. Okay. So we are in sequel trilogy era. Um, and my idea is that the story is going to focus on two boys that have been driven from their home um, and they've smuggled onto a ship um, to avoid being taken by the First Order. So it's all about 
um, the First Order taking these children and training them. And these boys have managed to escape, smuggle themselves onto a ship, um, and they've ended up on Batu, which is um, the planet of Galaxy's Edge. Um, and I know it's going to be touched on in the new Thrawn Alliances book. So they end up in a cantina-style bar and they're pickpocketing um, when a man steps in and tells them to stop. Um, and this this isn't the place for that because they'll end up getting themselves killed. Um, after a, a short conversation, he agrees to help them and to get them to a planet called Coruscant. Um, where he's going to try and smuggle them away and they can then get lost in Coruscant because it's so big. They'll be able to avoid the First Order there. And we haven't seen Coruscant in the sequel trilogy, so I thought that would be an amazing place to go and visit and see what it's like now. Um, And they manage to get there, but then they're spotted um, and they need to hide. They end up in the arms of bounty hunters of some kind and end up having to help them out with a job to try and regain their freedom. During the job, they then find out, and this is the key point, that the man is, uh, or was, once a Jedi. And we find out that it is Ezra. Um, and he describes losing many friends and enemy uh, friends that were once enemies, hinting to Thrawn. Uh, and they then complete the job. The boys want to stay on Coruscant, um, but he has other plans um after hearing stories of luke the rumors of luke passing through the galaxy and we end with him leaving to join the resistance wow well well uh i'll have to turn around and say sam you sold me on that one i think it sounds (laughs) fantastic i love it i i really like the idea of focusing the story on a younger generation um you know even younger than our sequel uh trio um because i think I think that's really important to kids. There are so many kids watching Star Wars, and I think it would be really cute for them to see themselves on screen. Yeah, that 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 was my idea behind it that that we could have this adventure story, but it could be a children's adventure story while still having those links to to other canon and having Ezra in there. I just think I'm such a huge Rebels fan that I would love to see them pop up somewhere in a live action film. Um, so yeah, that was the angle I was going at with that one. Yeah, anything so with Grand Admiral Thrawn is going to be fantastic anyway. So yeah, go for it. Amazing. Yeah, I hire you. Amazing. Yeah, I'll hold you too, Sam. Yeah, I'll hold you too. So there you have it. We've got uh, three new films lined up at Lucasfilm. Um, <laughs> so they don't need to worry about what's coming after the episode nine. <laughs> we've got it sorted. <laughs> we've, just, we've just established the future of the Four Story Group. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think um, I suggested that uh, we write write these story ideas up. So I'm hoping that we'll um, get an article out in the the coming week or so, um, so that you can read maybe into a little bit more detail of uh, our story pitches there. Moving on from our higher and fire, we are going to release our new Twitter poll now. Jumping back to that George Lucas story. Yeah, basically the uh, the new poll for this week is would you have liked to seen George Lucas's vision of the Star Wars sequel trilogy or would you rather have seen the sequel trilogy that we have now with um, obviously The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi and then Episode 9. So give us your thoughts, join on the poll and we'll um, address them next week. Yeah, and I think um, this doesn't necessarily mean that would you have rather seen this midichlorian film that he has described that maybe... Would you have liked to seen George have seen George Lucas oversee the sequel trilogy um, and write it? Because obviously, I think that obviously would have been adapted for films. Um, so, Kat, what what do you think? Just quickly, uh, would you rather see George Lucas oversee the sequel trilogy, or are you quite happy that Disney are in charge? Oh, I am so conflicted because <laughs> I love what we have received. Um, I love Ray, Finn, and Poe, and, you know, all of our new friends. Uh, But at the same time, you know, he had a plan, and I still think it's a shame that we don't get to see the end of that. Yeah, um, I am firmly on the side of of George Lucas overseeing the whole thing. Uh, I mean, I I did enjoy The Force Awakens, and I I loved The Last Jedi and my first screening of it. Uh, unfortunately, though, the, every resulting screening I've seen since then, I've actually liked it even less. Um, so I'm actually delighted by the, the notion of having George Lucas oversee uh, his, his original 
excellence. So I would, I would love to have seen him oversee it. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm with Cat on this one. It's, it's such a difficult decision because I, I am one of those people that has loved everything that has been put out Star Wars wise since Disney have taken over. Obviously, to varying levels, um, but I, I just remember that feeling sitting in in the theater whilst the Force Awakens was starting, and I've just never felt excitement like that. I just have this tiny suspicion that if George Lucas was overseeing it. I think I would have a, a hint of suspiciousness going into it that I would be unsure about whether this was going to be a good film or not, purely because of the prequels tarnishing, or to some extent tarnishing, um, the universe. Um, so I think I would probably just side with Disney on this one. But like I said, it's uh, open to discussion, and uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing what everybody comes up with over the course of the next week. Definitely. Get in touch and share your thoughts. Another episode wrapped up, guys. Fantastic. <laughs> it's been great uh, discussing all these stories again with you. Uh, Kat, do you want to just uh, quickly know where everyone can find you online? Yep. You can find me on Twitter at CatLovesFilm. That's Cat with a K. And then you can find my writing on thefutureoftheforce.com. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at Phil the Call, or I'm also social media manager for Future of the Force, so you can find me at Future of the Force, uh, futureoftheforce.com, and Instagram, and on Facebook. So come and find us. Amazing. And I am at Sam P.P. Thomas on Twitter. Um, and obviously, to keep up with all the latest fandom news, you need to head to www.thefutureoftheforce.com, uh, where all of us will be writing various articles about all of your favourite film and TV. Okay, we will see you next week. 